Hello, and thank you for joining us today for Frost & Sullivan's latest webinar. Today's event is titled, Automotive Aftermarket Transformation, Five Growth Opportunities. My name is Anna, and I oversee Frost & Sullivan's Growth, Innovation, and Leadership Briefing. Today's presenters are Kumar Saha, Director, Research Mobility here at Frost & Sullivan. Also joining us today from Frost & Sullivan is Anush Monga, Global Program Manager, Research Aftermarket Mobility. And joining us is guest speaker Shiva, he's CEO of Pit Stop. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Kumar. Please begin. Great. Thank you, Anna. Um, welcome, everyone, to um, our uh, Global Automotive Aftermarket Outlook webinar. Um, and before we um, jump into our presentation, uh, we have a poll question for participants. And um, the question, as you can probably see on your screen, is which of the following trends you think will drive your company's growth strategy in the next five years? The choices are vehicle connectivity, vehicle diagnostics, vehicle prognostics, and data monetization. You can choose um, any of those options, and we will announce uh, the results of the poll at the end of uh, today's webinar. So just before we start, um, uh, we'll quickly go over the agenda for today's talk. So we will uh, start with a wrap of what happened in the year that was, uh, so in 2018, what were some of the key trends and figures, and then look um, forward out to 2019 and uh, find out what would be the potential plays uh, for this year. Um, then um, we'll have a discussion on uh, the four aftermarket trends that we believe uh, will be uh, uh, the most disruptive in the next 10 years, and then uh, the growth opportunities that those trends are going to foster. And then uh, we'll have uh, our guest speaker, Shiva Pradwaj, um, uh, talk a little bit about his company, uh, Pitstop, uh, and uh, talk about uh, how predictive analytics and data usage will transform the aftermarket. So looking back to 2018, um, it was um, another year of uh, fairly steady global aftermarket growth. Uh, revenue um, hovered around the 4 or 5% growth mark for 30 years in a row uh, for, for tracking. Uh, in Overall, if you look at uh, the uh, improvements in GDP, which is obviously one of the key major factors behind uh, the growth in aftermarket, a lot of um, strong activity in Western economies, you know, particularly U.S. and Canada. Uh, but uh, what we saw was the impact of tariffs and trade wars uh, started to weigh down, uh, you know, some of these economies by Q4. Um, you know, some markets such as um, Canada are already um, uh, heading towards a mild recession, most likely. For 2019, um, uh, you're also expecting uh, um, 
the U.S. to slow down a little bit. Uh, the other major story for 2018 was uh, the slowdown in car sales growth. And we'll have more details on that you know, later on. But uh, particularly in countries like China, car sales slowed down. Um, in U.S., it was pretty flat. Uh, in countries like Canada, it actually got dropped. So, uh, and this is, again, a trend that we will see uh, carry on forward. VIA growth was uh, still fairly strong at about 4% globally, uh, and uh, right now uh, the global VIA stands at about 1.3 billion uh, vehicles. Um, and as I mentioned, parts revenue was strong, uh, uh, and it, it, we saw China and India, despite the economic weaknesses in China, um, we saw um, strong double-digit growth in 2018, but uh, we see that growth falling a little bit in 2019, and we'll talk about that again uh, later on. Online sales penetration was about four, the four or five percent mark. Uh, you know, significant trends there, and uh, you know, in particularly in uh, the Western economies as well as countries like China, and which brings us to some of the key trends that uh, we saw in 2018 past the numbers. Uh, one major trend in 2018, and this has been carrying on for some time, uh, was uh, the growth in SUVs and light trucks. And this was across the board. Um, it was very strong sales, and uh, this will present uh, some opportunities which we'll talk about later on. The other major trend uh, for 2018 was the pace of consolidation, uh, particularly in Europe. Um, you had uh, a lot of uh, acquisition activities happening in European markets, particularly by um, players entering into the market from North America. But even beyond Europe, uh, we saw uh, significant consolidation happening in markets like Mexico, in Brazil, um, for the first time in the last few years, we've seen a lot of the fragmented market in countries like Mexico and Brazil, a lot of the fragmented players acquiring enough companies to go over the valuation of $1 billion in revenue. The other major trend um, was um, the omnichannelization of the aftermarket and omnichannelization was not just focused on uh, within a individual company. What we saw that uh, traditional uh, offline heavy uh, participants joined forces with online participants. A, a, uh, a great example of that is the Amazon and Monroe Alliance for that matter. Uh, for instance, now you can buy a tire on Amazon and um, get it installed at a Monroe location in the U.S. Uh, we had the example of Walmart and Advanced Auto. Again, this, in this case, both traditional companies joining hands to create uh, a unified digital platform. So uh, we have these um, kind of collaborations going on in the market, and the, the whole uh, thrust of these collaborations is to enhance the um, digital experience. The other uh, 
major trend, and this is kind of an offset of uh, the trend that we had just spoke about, was the expansion of e-retailers. Um, uh, the likes of Amazon, uh, Amazon introduced its private label, for instance, in the market. And we're going to see uh, more and more instances of e-retailers expanding into the uh, independent aftermarket. They're trying to expand their B2B platforms. Um, and one of the reasons behind that, and it's, it's both driver as well as influencer of uh, connectivity in workshops. So there are two elements to it. First of all, uh, per our, you know, some of the surveys that we do, we see an increasing incidence of installers ordering online. And it's both through internet platforms as well as internet platforms. Um, and it, it, whenever we ask the question, most installers say that they will increase their online ordering processes. Now, what does that mean? That means that uh, for suppliers, cataloging has to be uh, absolutely bang on. And there's an, ever, uh, there's an increasing uh, focus on creating better catalogs going forward and creating more um, robust catalogs. The second example of connectivity in workshops was that some of the diagnostic tools that are coming to the market will now have e-commerce capabilities built into them. So that kind of opens up another channel, another touch point with the installer, which will also be a game changer in the market. So that was 2018. So what do we see um, happening in 2019? Um, we see Global GDP, uh, we see some slowdown in global GDP, which will have uh, uh, a continued uh, negative impact on the aftermarket. Car sales, again, very flat. Uh, we'll probably see some uh, good growth coming out of countries like Brazil, uh, potentially India, although things might be a little restrained in the first half of um, uh, the year, particularly because of the upcoming elections that region, but if you're looking at most of the Western economies, US, Canada, UK, car sales will decline, uh, you know, and in some cases, left to Germany, it would probably stay flat. Uh, a vehicle in operation, lower growth than 2018, so we are forecasting about a, 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 a 0.03% um, decline from, 0.3% uh, decline from 4% uh, to 3.7%. Uh, and also parts growth um, kind of declining as well globally. Uh, again, staying in the 4% mark, but if you look at some of the countries such as uh, US, Canada, uh, uh, we see um, parts growth hovering around the 2 to 3% mark. Uh, online sales will continue to grow, and that will be uh, bought by uh, some of the activities, again, going on the uh, developed uh, in the emerging markets. But as far as developed economies go, uh, it's going to um, slow down significantly uh, in terms of growth. Uh, and as far as the key trends are concerned, um, uh, the, um, again, uh, we'll see uh, more instances of private labeling. Amazon will probably move beyond just the engine oil that has introduced as a private label into aftermarket products and also start to develop its um, uh, B2B fleet business, so more focus on business to business. We will see continued uh, uh, growth in a truck 
uh, light truck and SUV sales uh, globally. And what that would mean is that uh, it would increase the spend per vehicle, particularly for things like tires and brakes, which are typically 20 to 30% more expensive on a light truck and SUV compared to a compact car or even a sedan. There will be, for OEMs, there will be you know, significant opportunity to sell accessories. So you can expect uh, some growth there as well. Uh, the impact of trade barriers obviously would be a major drag on a global on the global economy. Uh, we still don't know what the fallout from Brexit is going to be, but if it, there is a no-deal Brexit, um, which we'll get to know by the end of this month, hopefully, uh, the uh, impact of that will be global, not just for uh, the UK market. Uh, same with the China and the US tariff battle that's been going on. Yes, we're seeing some um, light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, uh, but it has already impacted uh, a lot of pricing um, in the U.S. market, and a lot of the inventories that were purchased in Q4 were more expensive, and some of those costs will be passed down to customers in Q1 and Q2 in 2019. So, uh, so those uh, uh, trends will uh, continue to impact uh, growth. Uh, we see. Uh, specific growth in digitization and vehicle services, and um, we'll talk about it in a little bit. Uh, and uh, despite the drag in the economy, we see a 1% to 2% growth globally in miles traveled, uh, which is good for the aftermarket. Uh, but a lot of uh, the miles traveled growth will come off of the back of uh, new mobility services, such as ride-sharing um, or e-hailing. And, and that would definitely uh, be a positive impact on miles traveled. So um, in this slide, we, we dive into a little deeper uh, as to what would be the vehicle sales growth uh, outlook. So if you look at the last two years, uh, 2017 and 2018, uh, it's been fairly flat. The good news has been in economies like Brazil. Brazil was in a bit of a free fall. Um, prior to 2017, uh, but uh, vehicle sales have grown ever since, and we see it continue to grow. Uh, on the other hand, Mexican market has been uh, declining, but this year we expect it to grow a little bit. But on the other hand, as I mentioned, both U.S. and Canada will decline. China will be flat. Uh, India would potentially kind of remain the same as last year. Uh, but again, nowhere near the highs of 2017. Uh, again, it's very flat throughout the year. So that doesn't um, uh, um, bode very well for the future of um, the aftermarket. But of course, that, that will have more of a long-term impact, but it will have an immediate impact on the OES channel particularly because you would see particular decline in uh, maintenance services uh, for the OES channel. So there are some immediate impact from the low vehicle sales environment that will be immediately felt by the OEMs, but less so by the aftermarket. But, uh, but there's a pocket of opportunity here. Um, this slide shows uh, the uh, a breakdown. So we mapped the sales uh, for the last three years. Um, and we looked at the split between light trucks and cars. And if you look at uh, the figures, pretty much 
uh, light shrubs grew in every um, country. Uh, obviously, the growth is pretty well known in U.S. and Canada, but if you look at countries like India, if you look at countries like Brazil here, uh, tremendous growth, uh, you know, 35%, 46 percent. Um, even in Germany, there was a much stronger growth, which is not a market that is known for uh, significant uh, penetration of uh, light trucks and SUVs. The other dynamic here here is that um, India and China, uh, the, the growth was not just in light trucks, but premium and luxury light truck and SUV segments, which again uh, was going to drive uh, the revenue uh, per vehicle and will you know, provide some opportunities for um, higher sales and parts and accessories. Uh, last but not the least, uh, regional revenue um, will, be, will grow but not grow as strong as uh, 2017 and 2018. The growth rate will decline in pretty much every market, including India and China, where uh, I think for the first time in the last three, four years, uh, we're seeing, we're going to see um, growth rates decline to under double digits. So last few years, we have all, always seen growth rates at about 11, 10, 10 to 12%. But this, this year, we're forecasting growth rates below that. The bright spot uh, from the last few years would be Brazil and Mexico, uh, where we see a fairly strong growth um, coming out in the aftermarket, again, driven by the, uh, uh, the improvements in uh, the overall economic uh, environment of those countries. Uh, last but not the least, um, it, you know, in terms of uh, short-term trends, um, we see some important trends coming out of these individual markets. I've touched upon some of them. I'll just highlight a few more. If you look at U.S. and Canada, we're seeing we're going to see um, a used vehicle sales are going to grow, and and they've been growing because of the glut of vehicles that have come into the market post 2010, 2011, um, and those ve those vehicles uh, would enter uh, their second life cycle in a lot of cases. Uh, but the important thing is, is a lot of these vehicles are also for the first time equipped with advanced sensors, of advanced drive assistance sensors. And uh, some of those sensors, because some of these vehicles will get into a collision or something like that, will uh, require repair. And that will uh, be a new opportunity in the market. For US and Canada, we also see um, uh, strong replacement demand coming in Q2, particularly because of the harsh winter we have had over here. And also opportunities again in fleet repair and trucks and SUVs. Um, in markets such as Latin America, obviously um, the overall economic factor will be uh, will be there. But uh, these countries will continue to have high average vehicle age, so uh, there will be opportunities for repair that will continue. Um, in Europe, um, particularly again Brexit. Um, competition in European distribution, but another lesser known uh, or lesser talked about trend is the growth in Asian OEMs that we have seen for the last few years. So again, that will provide opportunities for suppliers who are targeting those OEMs, and uh, uh, we'll see uh, growth targeting those applications. Um, 
So this is kind of a wrap-up of what we think will uh, pan out in the market for the short term. Uh, I'll turn over to my colleague, Anuj, to take us through what's going to happen in the aftermarket, what would be the major trends in the aftermarket in the long term. Um, so with this, uh, over to you, Anuj. Thanks, Mauro, and thanks for highlighting uh, what is that we are going to see in the immediate future in the aftermarket. And uh, now we'll be discussing about what lies uh, in the far future, or what are the key trends that are the strategic shifts that we are seeing in the aftermarket and how they are expected to have an impact on the aftermarket. Uh, we look at these trends uh, in, in four different buckets. Uh, we look at how the vehicle is getting disrupted uh, the vehicles are getting more connected, they're getting more automated, there's shared mobility coming into the system, and obviously there's an electrification of the powertrain, which is disrupting the traditional vehicle itself. Uh, secondly, we'll be discussing how there has been a disruption in the whole value chain, and this has primarily been because of the entry of some new companies, uh, new intermediaries who come with their own business models. And thirdly, we'll be discussing how there has been a shift uh, in the vehicle ownership and how vehicle ownership management has become an independent function in itself, how there are companies who are targeting uh, this space. Uh, we would be discussing about that. And then lastly, we would be discussing how each of these disruptions, right from the vehicle to the ecosystem, and from the ownership, how each of these disruptions is creating an opportunity of sorts with the whole data monetization and the access to data uh, coming out of it. So we would be discussing each one of them. Uh, and to start with, uh, if we could, yeah. So we, if, if we were to look at the, how the vehicles are changing, we need to look at how the vehicles are getting more connected. And we, when we say connected, we are talking about vehicles that have an ability to send and receive data. Uh, if, we, if, if we look at the global forecast for some of the connected vehicles, uh, by 2025, there's a forecast of uh, upwards of 70 million connected vehicles to be sold globally, uh, with just North America alone adding more than 170 million new connected vehicles on the road by 2025. Now this is over and above the existing vehicle park of connected cars that we have on road. And just to, just to put things into perspective, uh, the vehicle park in North America as of today is about 300 million vehicles. And if we are talking about adding another 170 million connected vehicles uh, we are looking at anywhere between 50 to 60% of the current vehicle park transitioning or moving on towards a connected vehicle system. Uh, and the, the opportunities that come out of it, the, the whole gamut of opportunities that we see uh, from these connected vehicles that have an ability to send and receive data is tremendous. Uh, we have n number of new features that we are talking about. We have new services that that have uh, disruption potential in themselves. Uh, the likes of OEM predictive services, we have seen a lot of OEMs already looking at 
that we're talking about over-the-air updates, which we already have in some of the vehicles from Tesla and now that we even the likes of General Motors talking about it, uh, such over-the-air updates can completely remove the traditional uh, vehicle service value chain out of the system. And uh, they do definitely have far-reaching impact on how uh, new vehicle services are going to be delivered in the future. So it's and obviously there are other models around the same connected uh, vehicle system. These include uh, advancements on the HMI systems, infotainment systems, uh, integrated vehicle management services are just some of them. And but there's there's whole lot more to discuss around how connected vehicles and the applications can have an impact on the aftermarket. Uh, and when we're talking about some of these companies, when we're talking about how each of them is uh, addressing this, we, we then talk about how some of the new intermediaries, how some of the new companies are disrupting this space as well, the whole traditional value chain. And uh, as Kumar mentioned in his previous slides as well, that Amazon is a name that comes often. And the reason Amazon comes often is because the way Amazon is targeting the automotive ownership management. Amazon is not just looking at selling vehicles. Amazon is not just looking at selling parts, uh, either to the B2C or the B2B channel, uh, and not just alone looking at the service management. If you look at the Amazon uh, push now, and if you look at the push for one of the solutions that Amazon Alexa, uh, and if you just take a, a a simple example of probably driving a car and you run out of an engine oil or you're potentially running out of an engine oil, Alexa has those capabilities to notify you that you you need an engine oil change. Uh, Alexa has these capabilities to maybe pop up on your in-vehicle interface and mention that and offer you some deals on the Amazon platform. So there's this whole lot more that Amazon can do. and. Uh, Amazon's major gain from all of this is a lot more than selling these parts and services. It is, it is largely being seen. Amazon looking into tapping into the data from these vehicles and then selling this data to different industry stakeholders, selling this data back to the industry. And that's where the, the, the major chunk of the business we see uh, going forward in the future as well. And we will talk about uh, how data monetization is is emerging as a trend in itself uh, in, in the following slides later on. Uh, but when we when we looked at uh, these trends and and obviously when I talked about Amazon, we need to look at how Amazon Basics has been able to launch as a brand for private labels. Amazon Web Services is the the the, the main pillar around which which all of these solutions evolve is what we see. And going forward, uh, we believe there are more who might follow this. And we already have the likes of eBay who have been doing this to a certain extent. But somehow Amazon has been leading the pack with Alibaba as well doing some of these bits already in the market. When we follow up on, on one of these trends, when we, follow the, when we follow up the trend of new intermediaries, new market participants entering the space, uh, there's one more trend which Frost and Sullivan identified, and we call it as the Uberization of vehicle services. Uh, we, this is a trend which talks about uh, putting all the vehicle service shops on a platform uh, and, and making them more accessible to the customers. 
what we expect from our estimates is that um, just in 2019 alone, uh, almost close to 400 million worth of vehicle service jobs will be booked online via service marketplaces. And most of this is expected to come from Europe as well as the U.S. market. But there's, there's a lot of activity that we are seeing in the Chinese market as well. And we believe that this is one of the trends to watch out for. There's a there's lot happening in terms of investment. And uh, investors like Shell and ESA have been on board on some of these platforms. And Foster Sullivan has, in fact, done an extensive research on this. And we would be happy to talk more about it. Uh, so, so we've discussed how the vehicles have become connected, how there have been new intermediaries coming in. Another major trend that we see and definitely needs a mention is about how ADAS technology is finding its own feet in the aftermarket. Uh, yes, we, we talk about automated and semi-autonomous vehicles coming into the market, their penetration increasing gradually, but from the aftermarket side, we do not anticipate any significant impact from these autonomous and semi-autonomous vehicles, at least in the next four to five years. But what we definitely see causing a potential impact on the aftermarket is the impact from ADAS-equipped vehicles. And when we talk about ADAS-equipped vehicles opportunity, we're talking about the impact or the opportunity from ADAS recalibration. We're talking about the opportunity from selling these sensors. Uh, and when I say ADAS recalibration, what I, I actually mean is uh, that most of these ADAS-equipped vehicles, I mean, whenever you have a requirement for a specific repair or a change of certain parts, these vehicles have a necessity to kind of have these sensors recalibrated. And we are seeing more and more of this demand coming to the aftermarket. Obviously, the, the dealerships are the more equipped one to deal with, but it's all about how well prepared the aftermarket is in time uh, to address this and to tap into this opportunity. We see that, I mean, just, just from this ADAS recalibration business alone, we see about 15 to 20% of an uptake or, or, or an increase on the order values for repair orders in workshops. We see, but that obviously comes at a cost, and we, we anticipate some cost in tooling. We anticipate some cost in training of service technicians. So there's, there's, there's a mix of both, but there's a definite opportunity that we see. And uh, with close to about 60 million ADAS equipped vehicles on road in the U.S. alone, there is definitely an opportunity for the aftermarket to look at. Uh, once we once we've looked at this, the, the the other another shift that we see in the aftermarket or in the automotive industry per se is about how the ownership is changing and how uh, new ownership models have come in. And uh, from our estimates, we estimate that by 2025, almost 19 million vehicles will be under some sort of a shared mobility platform, which, which might include ride hailing, which might include car rentals. But what it really means is that this new way of vehicle ownership will translate into new ways of servicing these vehicles. Uh, so this necessitates new service models around targeting these, these accounts, new service models around servicing these accounts, and that's where, again, the preparedness of the aftermarket would be checked. And we're already seeing a lot of these companies, uh, the likes of Uber, who are working very closely with some tire suppliers in the U.S., 
or working with the likes of Advanced Auto and AutoZone in the U.S. Uh, to manage their vehicle service requirements. So, so we've seen, we seen, seen some bit of collaborations already, and, and, and it's only a matter of time when these collaborations grow, and they're not very region-specific, but they become more global. So there's much, much bigger opportunity to tap when there are such global collaborations that come into place. Uh, when we when we looked at and obviously I mean uh, we we saw how the vehicles are changing they became interconnected there's there's integration of autonomous technologies into the vehicles we looked at the the engagement and the involvement of intermediaries uh, all of this eventually brings us to a bigger picture it, it brings us to discuss what is essentially the theme of our presentation as well and that's about how data from uh, these vehicles is to be monetized. And while we'll discuss more on that in the following slides, uh, what really stands out is that the vehicles today generate n number of data points. And uh, each of the customers that you could potentially think, think of have their own data requirements. Uh, for example, if uh, case in point, I mean, University of Michigan uh, ran a project sometime back wherein they understood tried to gather information from the wipers uh, of vehicles just to try and understand uh, the possibility of flooding in some of the regions around the university. Uh, that was a project on a, on a small scale. But what it really highlights is that uh, data, data access and gathering data is not limited to sophisticated parts, uh, uh, like the electricals or the electronic parts, but it, it has actually started to be seen um, uh, more mechanical parts, which includes the short absorbers, these include the windshield wipers, and there are n number of other examples to fall back on as well. So, so the access of data and getting data is, is no more a challenge. It's about how you manage that data now, and, and that's where we would see uh, as well. And uh, when we have one of our next speakers to discuss on, uh, and, and before I pass it on to him, uh, I would just want to lay some ground about it that data monetization today is not limited to specific companies. I mean, there are use cases for almost any possible industry participant that you want to talk about today, be it a, a fleet which, which needs data on how the fleets are moving, uh, be it the uh, infrastructure management companies who invest into managing the infrastructure for electric vehicles, be the government bodies who, 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 who need to manage their own fleet, who need to manage their own budgets. So there are, there are data monetization opportunities with, with possibly all types of different customers in the market today. And to talk more about it, to, to tell us more as to how that, that can be done and how that is already being done, uh, I would like to pass the presentation on to my co-presenter, Shiva, from PITOP. Uh, who would take us through uh, his company's value proposition and how they are delivering the solution in the market. So over to you, Shiva. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, so just got to take control of the screen. All right, great. So um, I guess I'll start and give a little bit of a background on myself and the company and what we're building, um, and then I can get right into discussing the details of how we've leveraged data from connected vehicles at scale and from the supply chain by taking various data silos and 
applying advanced machine learning techniques, um, as well as analytics, statistical analytics, to drive insights that ultimately predict component failures, helps with just-in-time parts uh, management, with product development, um, and a, no a number of other uh, aspects such as supporting the insurance and fleet industries with their business objectives through data. And uh, the, I guess my background is I come from the tech industry, working at companies like NVIDIA and BlackBerry, uh, building advanced, advanced systems that help power their systems, such as um, the Tegra chipset, which powers Tesla's info, infotainment unit, and the new um, that chipset was actually uh, instrumental to the autonomous drive platforms that uh, are, are deployed by NVIDIA, and then with uh, BlackBerry at QNX. And so seeing how quickly tech companies iterate on their products by developing software, and then having a background also in uh, the automotive industry and the aftermarket space uh, through my father's repair centers, I've noticed that uh, the technologies that are being embedded in vehicles don't actually get pushed down uh, to the aftermarket fast enough, and so you have this huge gap of advanced technologies but not advanced diagnostics and feedback coming from the market, coming from the vehicles to help um, the supply chain make decisions more efficiently. And this will ultimately cause disruptors like the Amazons and Googles and, and these companies to come in and uh, really change the course of how we understand automotive, the aftermarket, and even OEM development into the future. So, so I guess I would start with just talking about how complicated vehicles have become over the past years. Uh, so the average luxury vehicle has in the range of 100 million lines of code with well over 3,000 parts in it. If you look at Facebook's code base, it's about 100 million lines of code. So it, it's on one vehicle on the road is on par with Facebook's code, fa code base, but a lot of it is driven with uh, inefficiencies in, in which multiple suppliers develop similar mod software modules that are not being cross-leveraged across the vehicle. And so you have a lot of complications to the software, electronics, um, and, and the ultimate control system of the car. And so on top of this, if you just look at our mobility as, as a global like in the globe, we have well over a billion cars on the road with over 70 million cars coming out every single year, and this is growing. Um, and, and really, I guess when Henry Ford really initiated the assembly line, the, the ambition was to enable mobility for, for the people um, and allow them to access uh, anywhere in, in the U.S. or anywhere in the globe. And so the business model at the time was sell as many of these vehicles as possible. And now I think we've come to the point where that same business model is actually restricting the initial intent, which was mobility. And so we have all these disruptive models emerging, and, and, and my co-presenters mentioned a, a number of them prior uh, to, to my presentation. Um, and so where, where I'm going to focus is the, the, if you look at the major impact of not analyzing data, one of, one of the biggest impacts sits within recalls and warranty claims, which it's in the tens of billions of dollars every single year. And it's as simple as vehicles on the road today are not being analyzed in near real time to then reduce how certain problems will then uh, escalate 
across the vehicle car park. So if you're able to identify issues as early as possible in the life cycle, it evidently will drive a lot of value and reduce these uh, recall costs. And so changing the paradigm of how data comes back from the dealer networks, from vehicles directly, from the supply chain, into the decision-making cycles, uh, imperative to making better vehicles and more safer vehicles, and really fitting into this autonomous future uh, that everyone's talking about. So w the problem, though, today, and the reason why uh, prediction and analytics has not gained um, the impact it should have in the aftermarket and the automotive supply chain is because of how transactional um, the relationships are across each member of the ecosystem. And so, for example, if a vehicle owner is driving down the road and something happens to, the, to that car, they enter a repair facility. Usually when it's a drivability issue, lots of people ignore their engine lights if it doesn't uh, cause them uh, any breakdowns or any severe issues. So once they decide to then go to a repair facility, that repair facility is then trying to reassemble what happened on the road or re-simulate that in the back of the shop so the technician can catch the specific symptom. And, and then once they do that, they then order the, the component or the part. And, and the part supplier is hoping that the technician is a good technician and ordered the correct part, but they have no idea why that part was ordered. And then you go all the way back up to the supply chain to the actual manufacturer and warehouse distributors who don't know why on, in January and February uh, in, in Canada their fuel pumps sold in higher volumes this year than last year because there's no real-time data to really drive those insights. And so the problem is that the industry is very transactional in nature, and what it needs to come to is uh, more of a data-shared model where information that's not um, – that, that's generally anonymized, not personalized. So general information that talks about how vehicles are being maintained, how they are failing, how parts are being supplied, will, will support everyone in the supply chain all the way down to the driver who uh, will understand why his component is failing and why it's important to get service, all the way up to the supplier saying, this is the re in January the reason my fuel pumps um, were failing more and I, had to, I sold more parts was because the car park age has grown uh, in, uh, so the car park age for these fuel pumps has grown in, in the amount of years that they've been on the road, and the humidity was higher in this, in this month and such. And as a result, now I realize why I had to stock more inventory. So, so this value, though, of collecting information from the vehicle and from each uh, person in the supply chain, each company or each organization, is that after you clean the data and set up the architecture, you're able to apply uh, predictive algorithms on top of this data set to help improve part quality, improve vehicle maintenance, uh, reduce fleet uh, downtime, uh, reduce recalls, drive better customer experience. And, and there are hugely, uh, in, it's like a win-win uh, implementation for everybody in the ecosystem, and there's nothing to lose. And as a result, we're seeing a lot of great value with the platform that we've built with Pitstop, which really sits as a data hub in the center of uh, dealer groups and service networks with fleet telematics operators and companies, as well as OEM uh, telematics, uh, including OnStar as, uh, alongside a few others, um, and then the supply chain of parts distributors 
uh, manufacturers and suppliers. And so when we are able to bring this together, we can do a lot of very valuable things, and I'll get into a few of those examples in just a second. Um, but I guess the two biggest impacts for uh, suppliers really sits in enabling customer-centered development. So based on what's happening right now on the road, we are going to iterate our strategy based on what's happening with our cars. Rather than we believe, based on a market study that happened three years ago or last year, that we should move into this direction. So, so it's taking really that tech, what the tech industry does, and taking that approach and applying it to this industry. Uh, and then the second most impactful thing to driving disruption is really looking at implementing software in a big data manner so you can apply over-the-air updates, provide, do this predictive analytics, and ultimately reduce those recalls and the costs associated with unsafe cars on the road. And so I would, I'm not sure if this would work, um, but I guess, uh, again, if, if anyone's interested, I, would, I was going to showcase a quick demonstration. Uh, you could just email me at shiva at pitstopconnect.com, and, and we can go through that as needed, but I'll show you some use cases of what the platform is able to do. So as we've analyzed um, tens of thousands of cars through our system, we've been able to identify a number of failures. This use case specifically was that in 2017, um, we had a particular make model year on the system, and our algorithms was able to pick up on an issue, issue with the tra transmission control module, and what we noticed was that uh, these vehicles were shifting in a delayed fashion. And uh, it was about 15% of the vehicles that we had on our system of this make model year that were showing these signs. And so we put a report together um, and we were able to issue it to NHTSA and that OEM. And about nine months after uh, that uh, recall was released uh, to update the software on this control module, um, had that vehicle actually issued the recall at the time of our detection or nearly after that, uh, the cost savings on the overall recall issuance would have been in the range of uh, 30 to $50 million. So the impact is significant in getting information early on and being able to trust that information and that analytics. Um, so that's, what, that's one example that I thought would be valuable to share, and we have many of these types of examples. But the way we're able to achieve that and, and get to this is when you take the time series information coming from the vehicle, so the various sensors of the three to 500 sensors running on a combustion engine or, or a any vehicle for that matter. Um, and you're able to then take the events, the failure events, such as uh, engine lights coming on to the vehicle, uh, so repair facilities changing parts uh, and, and stating what the price is of those parts, uh, or suppliers getting warranty issued uh, parts returned and collecting that data set. So when you bring those two data sets from the car and then from humans that have logged certain events together, you're able to really drive predictions. And these predictions allow you to say there's a 90% chance that this transmission control module fault will occur on your vehicle as a result of comparing your vehicle's data to 5,000 other cars on the road that have had this issue. And so that's the power of running analysis on data at scale um, across various vehicle make model years and analyzing various parts across the ecosystem. Um, and, and then ultimately the benefits is understanding the failure rates of these components all the way down to regional um, levels 
uh, being able to understand how to stock parts in the aftermarket, which is very much a challenge, uh, early detection of recalls and warranty. Uh, there's also a number of fraud-related cases that emerge, but when, when you have data coming from the vehicle and then that vehicle goes in for a component replacement and it's evident that the, the component was operating fine, you're able to detect fraud early on in the life cycle. Um, and it all comes from agnostic cloud-based analytics. So agnostic to any hardware, whether it's OEM-connected telematics or aftermarket-connected telematics, being agnostic to the data source, or being able to provide a very coherent manner of cleaning the data, setting up the architecture, to then run analytics on top of it is really the value uh, that we're bringing to the market with our various customers. Um, and so th this kind of shows where a company like ours fits into the ecosystem. So there's a number of data platforms that do exist. They all target various niches of the value chain for the connected car. Um, and, and so we're an aggregator of all, a lot of raw data coming from telematics and then event-based data coming from the industry. Um, and we put that together and curate insights that then these, these companies are able to consume to make better, more efficient decisions. And then companies outside of the people who provide us data can also benefit from, from this information, including um, uh, insurance companies, uh, including uh, parts distributors and suppliers, um, and, and there's a number of others that we work with. And so the way we've designed our platform is to be um, very open and flexible, where we have APIs that are accessed, very secured APIs. Uh, they're able to ingest information and then output insights. Uh, we, there's front-end dashboards that are customized as per customer needs, as well as mobile applications as required. Um, and, and the idea at the end of the day is to improve the trust and transparency in the industry by leveraging real-time data. And so we believe that we're a cooperative data platform to the other data platforms that exist in driving this unique uh, value out of prognostics to the existing ecosystems out there. We, we look at the connected car space a lot like the internet in the early days. Uh, that's where, where I feel it is today, where we had a lot of computers out in the market um, without the connectivity of the internet in, in the early 90s. And the value was you could play games and, and use Microsoft uh, Excel and Word and those type of features. But as soon as you had connectivity, it enabled uh, services like Amazon and Google and Facebook. And so similarly with, with the connected vehicle, as these nodes who are mostly unconnected on the road today are, get more and more connected and are a part of kind of a, a bigger shared ecosystem, the value of those applications that will sit on, on, on this, on this uh, stack will, will be much different than what you can imagine exists today. And it's not something you're going to be able to necessarily predict. Um, exactly how it's going to unfold, but you know that the value will be significant as long as you're focused on the most important piece, which is how to make uh, use of the data and monetize the data and then drive impactful decision making. And so that's kind of where we sit in that value chain. And so far, I guess just on our traction, we've uh, captured data from well over 160,000 vehicles um, uh, with millions of miles of driving data from vehicles. Uh, we have uh, about five proprietary algorithms that are in the patent process right now. And our major partnerships include global service networks, 
uh, dealer networks where we get repair service data as well as access to that connected vehicle data through those vehicles. And then we're working with large fleet telematics organizations to gain access to their data sets as well to run this analytics. And so we're really in the business of taking unstructured data, things that sit as a mess, putting it through the process we've developed with our uh, amazing team of data scientists and computer scientists, and then providing insights that is valuable so that businesses can go on and make impactful decisions and, and beat their competitors at, at the punch. And that's pretty much the uh, what we do at Pitstop and, and the value problem. Thank you, Shiva. So at this time, before we start our question and answer session, I'm going to go over the results of the poll question. So we asked our audience, which of the following trends will drive your company's growth strategy in the next five years? And uh, we have 59% indicate the vehicle connectivity, 27% indicate the data monetization, 9% uh, vehicle diagnostics, and lastly, 4% was the vehicle prognostics. So those are the results. Thanks again for uh, taking the time to select a, a answer. And so um, just a couple of next steps, and we'll go straight into our question and answer session. So if you'd like more information um, on joining our leadership council, we encourage you to reach out to us via our GoFrost line at one 877 463-7678, or you can send us an email to myfrost at frost.com. So uh, we're going to go ahead and start our question and answer session at this point. Our first question that we have, what is the assumption to connected vehicles in your perspective? I mean, just infotainment is considered a connected car, or is it important to consider other features? Um, yeah, thanks for that question, Anna. I can take that. Um, so, yeah, I think we need to kind of think beyond the connected car, uh, beyond the entertainment system. So connected car uh, is basically, in our analysis, anything that is able to send and receive data. So a lot of uh, connected cars, or a lot of the, I mean, most of the cars that are being sold uh, currently um, uh, are um, uh, uh, are have you know have some level of connectivity embedded in them, um, so it's not just the infotainment system, but it's the ability to send and receive data, which is pretty much in uh, most advanced economies, almost 100% of cars uh, that are sold these days have that level of embedded connectivity. Now, whether a vehicle owner chooses to uh, actively those connected car solutions is another uh, matter altogether. But technically, you're able to uh, you know, send and receive data to those cars. So that is kind of our definition of uh, connected vehicles uh, in our forecast. Thank you, Kamara. And just as a quick reminder to those that have joined us, just joined us in the middle of the presentation and now as well, the on-demand recording 
will be available shortly after we have finished today's session. So um, I don't see that we have any more questions at this time. So I'm going to end the, uh, the webinar here. Once again, we'd like to uh, thank you for joining us today. And we also like to thank uh, Shiva, uh, CEO of Pitstop, for joining us. I want to uh, thank everyone again and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.